Hello and welcome back to Real Talk with Mama Kwaja, the podcast. You're listening to episode number 13, and I'm your host, Zera Kwaja, a banker by day and blogger by night. My guest today is Alison Schaefer. Alison is one of Canada's leading parenting experts. She promotes a firm but friendly democratic parenting style and offers practical solutions backed by extensive evidence-based research. Whether you're looking for a bite-sized tip to see you through a meltdown or you'd like to delve further to transform your life, Alison can help. Her style is fast, witty, warm, and encouraging. Alison delivers her deep insights in ways that today's busy parents can easily understand and apply immediately. Alison is also an international best-selling author of three parenting books published by HarperCollins Canada. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Alison? I'm great, thank you. I am so excited to be doing this interview with you today. Well, I'm flattered that you asked me. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I mean, uh, you know, I don't even know where to begin. You, I was, you know, you have so much to offer. You're, you're a therapist, you're a parenting coach, you're on so many multiple uh, media channels, and your podcast is amazing. Um, so, you know, here we are, um, you know, to learn and to be better parents. <laughs> yes. And knowing that we're probably already good enough parents, if we would just cut ourselves some slack and have some compassion, we, we generally speaking, we are parenting, uh, better than we ever have. If you look back at it historically, and I think sometimes we get a little stuck in the weeds and we don't stand back and take some perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, the kids are doing okay. I know that's, I think that's what the best thing is like, if they're healthy and, and they're home and everything is, you know, good. I think, um, I think, and if you see the progr- them progressing, right? Like it's never going to be this way. There will always be this and this and this, right? It's not, it's true. Development is not linear. And, um, you know, I was actually just listening to a podcast this morning and they were um, reminding us that when Darwin was talking about his theories of evolution, he was saying it wasn't, it, it was misinterpreted that we talked about the survival of the fittest. And he really meant to fit in. He, he meant that if we're going to um, really survive, we have to be adaptable. And if 2020 has taught us anything, we have had to be adaptable. We can't do things the old way. And rather than getting upset about that, it's about facing the current life challenges and trusting ourselves to, to know that we can learn and grow and, and adapt and do things differently and to not be so rigid in our thinking about how it should look and how it should be. Um, and that hopefully just sort of frees us up to be more resourceful. Yeah, and, and it's all about change, right? It's all about all change, change and it's yeah. all about uh, being better uh, than the previous moment. So I think if, as long as people are open to change, um, I think uh, you can progress well. And, yeah, and we, we say that to kids all the time, don't we? You know, we want to learn from our mistakes and we don't always take that advice ourselves. You know, there's 
there, it's not about right and wrong parenting. It's about effective parenting and trying things on. And did, was it effective? Did it get the results we want? If it didn't, let's try something else. And, um, and so uh, you, we can't do it perfectly. We, we have to bump along, stumble along. And just when we get something figured out, then they grow and change and they're in a different stage and phase of life. Then we got to start all over again. All over and, again. So all over house, again. We have... Uh, a 19 year old, we have um, 15 and 16 years old, and then we have a 10 year old. So we're, we're going through every stage of life. So there was one point in, in our lives when we were raising the kids, we, we just grouped them all together in one group. So it's like everybody's eating at one time and sleeping at one time and showering on you know, certain days. And so everything was so structured. And then one day I realized this is not working because our older one had transitioned. So can we like, uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about transitioning from, you know, and like from one phase of the children's life to the other and how we need to adjust a parenting style? Right. Uh, so it, it's a, it's a great point. And again, goes back to the developmental process of our kids and also the developmental process of what we're being called upon in our role as a parent. And that changes over time. And so when our kids are little, we really are um, more in the capacity of being an educator. You know, we need to brush our teeth so we don't get cavities and we need to eat fruits and vegetables so we have a balanced diet and you need to put your coat on the hook when you come in the door. And it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of education and teaching and, and socializing our kids. And then when they hit the tween years, which comes way faster than parents expect, can I tell you? I think... Um, you know, research shows that that's the most miserable time of parenting. <laughs> Tell me about it. Because we had four. <laughs> right? And, and so we, we somehow, I think, because we think that the word teenager has the word teen in it, that it's not going to happen until they're 13. Because mm -hmm. it's got the word teen in it. But, mm -hmm. you know, puberty in the onset of adolescence, actually, early adolescence starts at nine. And um, so we, we have early, middle, and late adolescence, and then we have young adults. And each one of those is really a unique stage. And if you think about how much your child changes from when they were a newborn baby till they're two years old, think about how much they learn to walk, they learn to talk. Like there's an amazing amount of change that happens from birth to two. Mm -hmm. And we forget that there's that amazing amount of change that happens between nine and 11, between 11 and 13. But we, we sort of want to keep our kids thinking that, you know, you're little, you're small, you're, you're not supposed to be growing up yet. I'm not ready for this. Why am I getting this, this teen attitude? If you're talking to me like this now, what are you going to be like at 16? I know. So, so it's uh, so we're a little late to the game, mm -hmm. and we get shocked by that. But in the middle years uh, of uh, adolescence, uh, that's really a time more where the child is developing the part of the brain that's responsible for the executive functioning and the longer term planning. The brain is about to undergo a major rewiring and restructuring. So the myelin on the nerve shafts in the brain are really, really thick. They, they're the fastest thinker. We call the 12-year-old brain the, the MacGyver brain. And suddenly they don't want to know what we know anymore. They would like to tell us what they know. Yeah. And, and uh, they need to start exercising those capacities of problem solving, figuring things out, and really working the mental muscle. So when we spoon feed answers and we tell them a better way to do things, or we tell them why things are right or wrong, good and bad, and, and, and try to in, impart our great el, elder wisdom, 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't land very well. That we we really want to switch to more of a coaching approach, mm-hmm. where we in, uh, engage them in um, fruitful dialogue, and we ask a lot of curiosity questions, and we let them experiment a little bit. You know, so what do you think would happen if you didn't get enough sleep? Um, what do you think will happen to your marks if you don't put the time in to study? You know, just curiosity questions, and then. And it's very, it's, it's, I guess, second nature to me only in so much, I guess the word is, is that it's not natural in that when you get trained to be a therapist, that's what you're trained to do. We're, we're, we're trained to help the client move along their own growth, to have their own epiphanies, their own aha moments. Mm-hmm. And they have to kind of do the work if the change is going to be really deep. And I, I, that skill I think is very transferable to parenting, but I, you know, I went to school to be a therapist, so I got a lot more courses in it, you know? So, um, so we have to be more of a, a coach-like type parent in the middle years. And then as our kids get older, when we're, if we've really got a good relationship with them and they are starting to adult and we're giving them more responsibilities, they're likely to come to us because they want our, what I call sage counsel. They, they want to draw from the well of our wisdom. Um, and so when we see kids saying, well, you know, I want to talk to my parents about my university applications. Uh, I want to talk to my parents about whether or not I think this is a good residence or house to rent or something. Mm-hmm. Some people would look at that and say, oh, you're enmeshed. You're, you're, um, you know, you're being too involved in their life. And, um, and I would argue, no, if they've actually seen you as somebody who's smart and wise and whose opinion they trust, why wouldn't they come to you? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll take your opinion, but mm-hmm. you would hope that you would have um, a relationship enough that your kids continue to, to use you as a support because the brain doesn't really stop growing until they're 25. I mean, it takes a long time in modern day to get to adulthood as opposed to, you know, Cleopatra who is ruling Egypt at 14. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did, and actually, I just saw posted, um, somebody shared the, the Times uh, magazine just had their first ever, uh, like, I think it's like the five most impressive youth um, awards that, that made like person of the year. And when you see what these 15 and 14 year olds are doing in terms of science and, uh, you know, creating uh, helpful apps and, you know, um, taking on nonprofit causes for representing kids with differences. And it's, you know, we, we really underestimate children. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think that as a mom, I think for me, the thing was I became a mother or a parent as soon as the baby was born. And I kind of took that same thing, but I think it's like, I, I become a new parent in every different phase of our life, uh, the children's life right so when they when they're uh, 9 and 11 i'm a new parent again because i'm parenting a you know a child that is between 9 and 11 years of age especially if it's for your firstborn i think because you have never experienced it so you always want to be the parent of the baby but i think what you're saying is you need to evolve parenting um, yeah. as the child is growing up right and and i'm sure every parent ha- has the appreciation for you know while well, i tried this on my first child and it worked like a charm how come my second child will have nothing to do with it that um that each child in the family uh, has a different experience of childhood life and from their perspective you know you might be more broken in because you got over your like you know panic and phobia over germs with your first one and you might be more lenient with your second oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
have different expectations for, for different kids. They, and of course, they have different temperaments and personalities as they shape themselves in the family. So we can't do, it's not cookie cutter. It's, it's, it's not a science. It's, it's the combination of an art and a science. Exactly. And I think um, uh, like why it's, it's a little bit harder, like I, I can say for parents, to put, put on different hats, right? When you're dealing with different kids. So having a house with, you know, five children, um, you know, I can go from being firm with one of them to the next second, you have to show that love and empathy to the other one. And, and then you have to be disciplinary to the other one. And so you're wearing too many hats and, and, and it can be challenging. And so, you know, we need to give ourselves a little bit of a break as well. And not everything is going to be as planned and, you know, you have to go with the flow type of yeah. thing. Um, and while you were talking about these brilliant children on Times magazine, right, I'm sure that parents kind of nurtured them and guided them to be and to find their their strengths, right? So, uh, like, what is when you're uh, encouraging your child to do better? What, what's that fine line or pushing them over? You know? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really great point um, that we do play a role in uh, helping our children find their way. And um, so part of that is to, to, to your use of the word encouragement. The, the word encouragement has in its root the word courage. It's the courage to be imperfect. It's the courage to push on even though you aren't sure of success, you know. And, um, and kids who have a feeling of unconditional love and acceptance and who don't confuse, you know, flubbing, failing, checking things out as, as being some detriment to their self-worth. Mm -hmm. Those kids have a strong internal sense of their personal value. And from that position of courage, then they can go out and try things. You can't, you can't grow and try new things with, you know, out, not, you can't do everything perfectly immediately. And so, um, so to feel that sense of strong love and acceptance and, um, and the pushing part is more about, you know, when we give encouragement to kids and, uh, and we say, you know, well, look, we'll see, we'll try, um, you know, you've done it before, or I believe in you, kids really look to you and say, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put me in harm's way. You know, maybe if they think I can do it, maybe I can. And I think for those parents that had those amazing kids in the magazine, likely they showed some interest and the parent followed the, the parent followed the child's interest um, or maybe modeled the interest. And where we see kids really engaging, that's where we want to be able to create opportunities. And I think to, to give them a multitude of experiences because for example, you might have a child who's really artistic, but if you never had pen and paper and crayons in your house, how would they know? Or if you didn't exactly. sign them up for an art class, how would they know? If they, exactly. never, if they never tried different sports or different types of literature or, you know, so I think a lot of it is exposure until you find that thing that's kind of sticky and intriguing and then going with that, you know, uh, making resources and, and, and taking an interest in what they're interested in. There's, there's a lot of kids who really like gaming. And parents hold it as a low value and, you know, they think it's bad, like the boob tube or something. And for all we know, these kids could grow up to be, you know, coders and, um, you know, other things. So I, I think we have to be non-judgmental in the things that in engage our kids. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in our household, um, you know, we, 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 I think we pay a lot of attention to how much screen time there is and everything. But these days with COVID, I mean, everything's out the door yeah. only because of the fact that, I mean, there's a lot of screen time happening. Tons for everybody, for, for you everybody. and me, for yeah. you and me, because we yeah. can't do it in real life. I mean, I wish we could do this, uh, you know, sipping coffee, sitting on a couch together. That would have been awesome. But, you know, um, so the screen time is there and, and there's no um, there's no other way around it. But then just being more mindful about, OK, we need to put the device away and we need to uh, sit and talk or engage or, you know, little things like that. But. Uh, of course, gaming is another one. Like now with winter around the corner, or well, it's almost here, um, you know, you can't be outside that much. So what are the kids going to do? They're not going to school full time. They cannot go socialize. They cannot play sports. So, Yeah. So to your point, we have to have balance. And because the uh, design of technology uses neuroscience to keep you engaged. It's why, you know, the YouTube videos, the next one auto starts, or if you watch Netflix, the next episode starts and they hook you. And just when you thought you were going to like turn it off and go to bed, they leave it with the big cliffhanger and you're like, oh, I'll just watch one more. Yeah. You know, we, we're, we're a sucker for the, the, the design of technology to keep us engaged. So we have to um, help our kids develop the tools and for ourselves as well to, to use them for our betterment, to um, look at our uh, day and our week and our month and our life as um, having longer goals and asking ourselves, did we have a, a, an effective and useful use of our time that reflects our values and reflects uh, um, healthy balance? And so uh, there's so much you can do on technology meaning you can check the weather, you check your homework from your teacher, you move money from bank accounts. Uh, it isn't, it isn't, not all time spent on our devices is necessarily bad time. It's really hard to use screen as the measure. But I, I do think we need to have times where we put down technology um, and that to your point that we engage with the real people in our lives, that we use our big muscles, that we use creativity offline in terms of playing, you know, board games or real pen and pencils as opposed to drawing apps. And, um, and so it's really about balance more than time and how you do it. Yeah. And, and, or maybe perhaps even um, being able to differentiate between mindful screen time and not like you know what i mean like because what ends up happening is i'm just scrolling that's not mindful like i'm just scrolling and what you're allowed to do but if you're doing excessive my you know excessive scrolling unless you know then it's no good but if you're mindful of the fact that okay right now i'm on the computer because i'm uh reading something or i am uh, watching something you know so i think it's just having that um differentiation between the two is important as well, right? Right. And, and we do now they have um, tracking apps that will allow you to look at how much time you spent on each different thing. So there's an awareness piece that we might not even be uh, aware of adults and children alike, where, you know, you look at your overall time for the day and you realize, wow, I gave three hours of my life to Candy Crush. Is that really how I want? Never get that time back. Um, and so I think being, uh, being aware of that, and to your point, they're active versus passive, entertainment versus educative um, versus daily functioning, all, all those things. It's, it's really what you're doing online. It's, it's not how, not, uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to touch a little bit about trust and boundaries in teams. Right, so our older one went away to university um, 
uh, last year. Uh, she's home now. But uh, what, when she was leaving, I think there was a little bit of a tug of war um, about, you know, trust and, and security. Like as a parent, you know, my first thing is, you know, I'm, are you safe? Right. And if you're coming home late and, and then the teenager is like kind of, you know, fighting their way out of it. So what would you say to parents about that? And, and especially to parents whose children are away right now, it's a holiday season as well. And, you know, there's a lot of emotions and everything. So what would you have to say about that today? So, you know, when, when it was traditional for kids to leave home to go off to university, there was a ritual around it. You know, you, I'm sure you experienced that where, you know, you, you had to buy new things for their dorm room. And, um, you know, we packed up kind of like little hope chests. And when they got to campus, they were probably met with a barrage of people that were welcoming them to their dorm with their dons. And, and they were trying to engage them in, in connecting with new friends. And it's quite a little ceremony that goes on over the course of, of that week to help those kids get in, get settled, get connected. And you'd really do feel like, like you've you've launched them and i think it's important that we have traditions that mark transitions in life um, you know, different cultures do them in different ways. You know, um, you, you hear about in tribal communities where when you become a man, you know, you might do a walkabout and then when you come, you leave as a child and you come back as a man and the community all celebrates you and, um, you know, people have communion and, and different passages of rights to mark these phases of your life. And it's been very strange with COVID because for those kids that were supposed to have graduation in the spring, that got canceled. They didn't have prom. They didn't have graduation. They didn't, a lot of them didn't go off to campuses. The dorms were closed and they stayed at home. And we didn't really mark that transition very well, which I think is important for parents and important for kids because we're really trying to see them with fresh eyes. And we're trying to reestablish a different relationship with our young adults. Um, and so when we send them off, it is as hard for parents as it is for kids. I, I've certainly worked with a bunch of universities where they've said that one of their major problems is not the um, intellect of the students coming on board. The marks and the requirements for getting into these uh, um, academic institutions is probably higher than it's ever been. Uh, more competitive. There's really, really smart kids. But then they're dropping out. They can't, you know, the dropout rate in first year comes a lot from kids who have not been adequately prepared for just handling life outside of home, you yeah. know? And so as hard as it is for us to, to let our babies go, because they still feel like babies, um, you know, you really can't learn in, until you give it a go, you know, that, um, that part of it is that uh, we do have to have faith and trust that they'll figure it out. And, you know, they might fail a course and they might sleep in through some classes. And, you know, it takes a while to learn how to do all those things on their own. And we can just, um, the general rule is we can't clean up life for our kids. We have to let them uh, prepare them and and have them learn real lifetime skills. So for those kids that have um, had come back uh, or never left in the first place, we've missed that opportunity to to kind of hand off adulthood to them, and that has created some very stressful um, home environments for our youth because they want to go hang out with their friends and they're like, well, if I was on campus, you wouldn't know where I was and that I didn't get up for class or that I wasn't studying. Why are you 
why are you helicopter parenting? Why are you in my business? This is supposed to be mine to do on my own. And it's so much easier to bite your lip and not say anything when you can't, when it's not under your eyeballs, but when you're the one up in the morning having coffee and you know their first class is at eight o'clock and they're yeah. still sleeping, it is really hard not to want to go bang on that door and get them up. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's what it is. So at the end of the day, I think for me, I, uh, like in our household, we say, um, as long as you're doing well in class and well, meaning if you're giving it your best and you're achieving what, where, what you should be achieving, um, that's what it is. And, and if we, if we see that the child is not performing to what their graph, their own graph is, then we sit down and have that conversation and say, okay, what is going on? And what are the changes you can make? Right. Well, and, and of course, how can I help you? How, how can I help you uh, achieve your daily goals? So do you want me to wake you up in the morning or not? Right. Yeah. That's a, a wonderful way of phrasing it where you're, you're taking your appropriate role where, um, so a, a metaphor I use or an analogy I use is um, when they were little, we drove the, the airplane. We, we were the captain, right? Yep. And we were piloting the journey and making sure they were safe. And now what we're saying is we want them to pilot their lives, pilot their education, and we have to take a step over to co-pilot. Yeah. And, and if, and if we, if to co-pilot is to say, how can I help? Uh, do you need me? What would be useful? Let me tell you what I'm seeing and noticing. But if we get antsy and scared, and it's usually from fear and we think, nope, they're making bad, terrible mistakes. They're going to fly into the mountain. I better grab the wheel again. Your child is likely to hit the ejector button and just eject you from the seat. And that means if you're not on the journey with them, then we lose all ability to try to be helpful. So when you, pull, when you pose the question the way you did, um, what are your goals? How do you feel about it? Um, you know, uh, are you happy with how you're performing? Um, and uh, to let them do some self-reflection on that and then to say, I'm here if you need me. I think first year is also, like again, a lot of learning. It's not just, you know, um, there are certain transition grades that are just harder than others. Like going from kindergarten where it's play-based learning to grade one where you sit in desks and it's a lot of rote, that's a really hard transition year. And I would say going from high school where you know all your professors and people are looking over your shoulder helping you, and then you're on this, you know, all alone to manage your education and the volume of work and how hard the tests are and how much you need to, to practice and, and study in advance. That it, there's, there is like a learning curve. So marks do typically come down in first year and that really scares students. And if, if, they're, um, if they get discouraged, to your point, if they lose their motivation, they're going to think it's too hard. I'll never get my A's again. And they drop out. I'd rather have them say, well, maybe you're going to get 70s this term, but you'll learn. And then next term will be 80s. And then maybe by second year, you're getting the 90s that you like or whatever, right? So um, we don't want them to jump ship and abandon too early. Absolutely. Um, the one thing that I did with our kids when they were in grade eight, nine that year, um, uh, I, I would do a weekly goal setting. I, 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 I have that at work and I kind of took that model at home and we set some things, some parameters and we said, okay, so every week we're just going to sit back, sit together for 10 minutes and do a weekly goal setting. So what are you looking to achieve this week? Uh, what did you not do good at last week? And let's kind of, you know, come up with another plan. Maybe what you did was not working. And so that kind of, I was trying to give the reins in their own hands. Um, yes. But just kind of being the person that's looking at them, watching them, 
observing. And then when we would have our weekly goal setting, that's when we would go over everything and say, okay, maybe you could, this is what I noticed. And, and I noticed that, you know, you could have done this, this instead of that, but that's just a suggestion. Should you take it? And, and I think that that would help, that help them. Yes. And, and so to take that, that's what learning's about is to, to take the pause and to reflect as you're making this time and then looking, what will you do differently going ahead? That's so beautiful. And you've made it part of your family culture. So your kids are likely to repeat that when they go off, you know, on their own. And what I also thought was beautiful is that it wasn't you imposing your goals. Kids are, kids do not like goals imposed upon them. And we have this belief that if we didn't, that they would really have this low bar. Um, you know, if you sit back, kids actually have very high expectations for themselves. And, um, and they can make uh, goals that are true to them. And uh, we, we don't need to be afraid of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just, again, it's guiding them in the right direction, showing them uh, what their true potential is, and when they forget what their potential is, um, you know, just by means of discouragement, sometimes, you know, they, they just feel down about something and just kind of have to push them a little bit towards the light and say, hey, no, I know you have the potential to do it and I'm here. Let me know what help you need and, and I'll be right here for you. Yeah, that, um, that what gets discouraging is when you um, have a belief that no matter what F, whatever I do, it, it's not going to make a difference. So when we look at some of the um, misunderstandings that kids have. For example, it's not uncommon for kids to think you're either born smart or you're born stupid. They don't, they, they think it's a genetic thing and that they just didn't get the gift. And uh, so they, they don't, they don't connect that increased effort gives increased output. Um, and so we, we have to correct that. You know, you can get whatever mark you put your mind to, you know, the more you study, the more you ingest. And if you need a tutor or you need to go slower, that's all fine. But you can get, you can learn just like everybody else. And so kids don't believe that. Kids also think, um, again, just misattribution. They'll also think, well, I got a bad mark because the teacher didn't like me. Yeah. And this is a, this is a real belief. And again, where's the agency there? Where, where is this, the locus of control when you, they, and they don't see it, you know? And so I think that's important that in our conversations, we correct those misunderstandings about how one learns, how one uh, gets grades and that, you know, you can't, like I said, you can't get to, um, some kids find a high school, for example, very easy and they never really had to study. And so when they get to university and the workload gets harder and they bring in their first B, they get really frightened. And it's like, oh, I never really had to apply myself. At some point, some kids get that in grade four, some kids get that in grade nine, some people don't get it till university. But at some point, the it comes easy to me is going to hit its maximum and you're going to have to start to put in that effort and not to freak out when that moment happens for you in, in whatever grade it is. And it is not a reflection that you're stupid. Yeah, and that's that's their aha moment that I need to I need to be proactive, right? Not very you know uh, laid back about oh it comes easy and I'll be fine because even smart kids if they don't uh, put the right time in and if they don't have like a little structure to follow they're going to be complacent they're going to yeah. start cruising and boom that's it right 
And, and so, so we, we can remind them of other things in other areas of their life and map it over to education. So it's like, well, you know, you didn't used to know how to play soccer, but then you signed up, you spent all that time out on the field and doing drills and you played it for four years and now you're going to the championship. So you know what it's like. Um, the same with seeing the great artists, you know, when, when kids go and see the, the paintings in a museum and, and uh, an art gallery and they see the work of Monet and the masters and they think they just sat down and painted that picture. That in fact, if you go to, 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 you know, online or to textbooks, you'll see the final one that you see, they probably did 30, 40 renditions and, and didn't like the composition or, you know, change the orientation of the objects in the picture and threw those out. Nobody sees the drafts. So kids experience a lot of life seeing a final, completed, perfect outcome. Mm -hmm. And they, and they don't understand that everybody who's a master puts in the time and, and works and, and learns that, you know, even yeah. the rappers write their songs and then crumple them up. And, uh, you know, of course it sounds like they're singing stream of consciousness, but it's like, no, they worked hard. They rehearsed, they practiced, they edited. Yeah. So it's, it's a natural part of life. Absolutely. And I think uh, also the fact that it's not just academics that this should be focused on. It's anything, it's any life skill right? Even cooking or baking or like you name any life skill and some people say, oh, you know, they, they could just do it. They, they have an interest in cooking or, or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, no, it's you, you can learn skills and, and that's, right. you, you're not always born with them, but you, you can learn them as well. Right. Yep. Communication skills, financial literacy skills. We, we would hope that we set our kids up to be lifelong learners. And it's one of the, again, sort of silver linings of the pandemic. A lot of adults decided they had extra time on their hands and that they wanted to try some new things. We saw how many people were making sourdough bread and learning about how to make the little, <laughs> the, whatever. I mean, it's a, a small example, but uh, I think when our kids see us be a newbie at something, when kids see us flub it a bunch of times before before we get a success. Um, and as we take on new hobbies and, and we're taking on new um, challenges to intrigue and keep our interests going over COVID, it might be the first time some of our kids have ever seen us do something lousy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and that's it's a good okay. thing to do. And, and that's totally okay. You know, yeah. um, and I think because we always want to uh, have that perfect picture. So I think uh, sometimes if you fail and, and you, you know, you shouldn't be uh, shy to hide it and you should say, oh, well, I did this and it's such a flop. And my cooking's like that. One day it's amazing. And the other day it's like, oh my God, what even is this? Right. And, and, and that's what it is. You, you just go with the flow. And when you're gentle, when you are gentle with yourself, you know, on the meals that didn't turn out quite right, or when, you know, you wrap the present and it's all wrinkly or whatever, rather than berating ourselves, um, that's when we can model being gentle. Oh, well, I'm just learning. They don't all work out. Like it's the attitude about it. That's also so powerful for our kids to witness us be kind and gentle with ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, thank you so much for making time to do this. I oh, my pleasure. Um, and to many more, uh, uh, hopefully in the future. And I hope you have an amazing Christmas uh, with your family. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I know in your um, uh, faith background, you don't do Christmas. How do you celebrate in, in your culture? So we celebrate Eid. Um, that's after uh, a month of fasting in Ramadan. So um, because we follow the lunar calendar, it kind of moves up 10 days. So I believe this year Ramadan starts mid-April. So around mid-May is when we celebrate Eid and it's all about festivities and food and 
um, desserts and you know we, we all get dressed up and so last year was obviously well this year 2020 was uh, you know it was celebrated just with the immediate family and we had a few drop-offs like drive-bys that was really good um, but yeah so we're looking forward to that in April and hope that things um, you know ease up a little bit so we're able to celebrate um, with with all our family and friends. Yeah, uh, yes, that it's a little a little bit more face-to-face and inclusive this year and hopefully with how they're tracking with the vaccine and if we, uh, fingers crossed 2021 is better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. But it's not to say that 2020 wasn't, to be very honest. I think for a lot of people, it has been hard and we, I totally acknowledge that, but for a lot, it has been, it, it, the growth has been there for sure, for sure. Yeah. Eye-opening for all of us. For all of us, for all of us. Well, thank you so much, Allison. It was lovely speaking to you. And we'll you keep as in well. touch. Thank all you. right. Take care. Have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Talk with Mama Kwaja podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so love it if you could take a moment to screenshot the episode and share on your Instagram stories. Do throw me a tag at mama.quaja so I can see it as well. We'll see you next time with another episode of Real Talk with Mama Quaja.